Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Connor Hogan, Senior Information Governance Manager with BSI Ireland. How are you doing, Connor? I'm doing good, Ronan. Thank you. How are you? Great, thanks. Now, first of all, before we start, tell me a bit about your background. Sure. Um, I, uh, I started out um, in university uh, doing an engineering degree and switched to commerce. Thought, it, thought engineering wasn't quite for me, so I switched into commerce stream with a focus on information systems. And from there, really, um, my career started in an accountancy practice in town where I spent eight years learning the trade of risk, security, auditing, um, and data protection. And uh, as I said, I spent eight years with, uh, with Mazars, um, really good people, and uh, um, had the opportunity then to join uh, BSI here in Sandyford, where I lead the data protection, privacy, um, and sort of the GDPR uh, professional services team um, out of our Dublin office here in Sandyford. And uh, my interest, primarily data protection, I'm, I'm one of those privacy nerds um, that uh, you'll, you'll find um, extolling the virtues of, uh, of security and privacy uh, and all things data protection for the last number of years and um, really interested in technology, in, um, in I suppose, politics. And uh, neatly, a lot of those things are sort of colliding right now with, with the GDPR, with uh, data breaches, with privacy really coming into mainstream media um, as, as a newsworthy article for a lot more people today. Um, and yeah, that, that's really me. All right, now, you talk about technology and privacy. How has current technology eroded our privacy? It's a very interesting question. Um, I, I was recently speaking at the Isaaca conference in Croke Park, and uh, my topic was really on how privacy um, is is being maybe rebaselined and reawakened right now because technology up to now probably has eroded privacy, although maybe a little bit surreptitiously. And I'll use three examples actually. Own. Um, the first being surveillance, okay? Um, we live in, in a very connected society and uh, recent reports from various uh, research agencies and, for instance, Gartner um, estimate that by 2020, there will be upwards of 20 billion connected devices on the planet. And that's not just telephones. That's not just computers and laptops that people have in their house or in their office, but it's fridges. It's the Alexa that you have. It's the Siri device. It is all of this multimedia technology, connected cars, um, that you see uh, in today's society. And, and surveillance comes with that. Um, for instance, in China um, right now, China is developing a, an incredible, what they call social credit system. And um, what this is, is using all of the CCTV cameras that are installed and being installed right across the, the Chinese mainland right now um, to uh, use facial recognition technology to track people as they go about their daily lives. And what they intend to do with it is to create what's called a social credit system. So if you don't cross the road in the right place or, you know, you're seen to, to not abide by the laws of the of the local town or the, the local province, you'll lose points. Um, and if you fall below a threshold, 
you could be denied maybe domestic travel uh, rights or you may not be allowed to apply for certain jobs um, and all of a sudden it opens up this massive uh, surveillance culture uh, to the world's largest um, country. Um, I, I suppose maybe closer to home, um, think about the mobile phone device that's in your pocket. I asked the ISACA conference um, last week or, or the week before last actually, you know, how many people used Google Maps, for instance, um, to find their way to Broke Park or to navigate through the traffic uh, in, in Dublin um, that morning. And a lot of people, nearly, I suppose, 90, 95% of the room, including myself, you know, hands up, including myself, use Google Maps or Apple Maps or any of the, the mapping technologies and applications that are out there. But there are privacy implications there, and those technology those those really really useful and beneficial almost valuable um, applications of technology do interfere in your privacy yours and mine your mobile phone company your your uh, your your um, uh, mobile telephone company uh, your uh, uh, manufacturer um, they all know your physical location you know plus or minus um, a couple of meters here or there but the physical location of where you are how quickly you might be moving um, and how long it might have taken you to go from point A to point B on the M50 that morning is all collated along with everybody else's information who's running those applications, your GPS coordinates, etc. And that's compiled, you know, using big data, big processing capacity uh, and does generate a really valuable service. It'll tell you that the M11 or the M50 is bunched up with traffic in the morning time. But there's privacy implications associated with that. And even, I suppose, maybe the most recent version of, of, of sort of modern technology invading into our privacy is, is one that's, that's becoming a little bit more um, uh, ubiquitous today with, with smart cars, connected cars, and how insurance companies are offering maybe reduced um, insurance premiums for uh uh, customers who install boxes into their uh, cars to track their location, track their speed, you know, how fast are they accelerating and decelerating, how many miles are they actually doing. And all of this data that's been generated by all of these connected devices is being sucked up um, by these multinational corporations, perhaps by by um, uh, governments for surveillance practices. And when you think about what really privacy is all about, it's about the fundamental right to be left alone. And and the technology that we do use in modern society, um, in commerce, uh, in social outings, you know, your Fitbits on your phones, your personal device trackers, all that is fantastic technology to use. But, um, and, and uh, I do pause, and, and maybe it's a capital B for but, there are certain implications that people either are aware of and choose to ignore, um, or aren't actually aware of and that's where I would have concerns um, and you know some some simple examples as to how privacy and, and your and my privacy which we know of it today is entirely different maybe than the privacy um, that somebody might have expected to have maybe 40 or 50 or 60 years ago in an age when the technology that we now use uh, wasn't uh, even imagined. I guess now we're in the age of big brother you know, to a point, yes, um, but I suppose Big Brother has always existed, you know, and um, I would agree that, um, you know, there is an element of Big Brother of George 
Bowell's 1984 about some of the uh, the technology devices and, and practices that I've mentioned. But the state, you know, knows an awful lot about people anyway. You know, um, I always say that if you didn't want to uh, um, be taxed um, and you, uh, the, you didn't want specific services in your um, uh, in your country, for instance, health or education, then the government wouldn't know how much you are and therefore know how much to tax you. So certain elements of privacy invasions are expected for the common good and for, for the benefit of society, for security, national security, etc. But it's about making sure that people are aware of these invasions and you know where it's appropriate um, and where it's right that they have a choice about these things as well. And fundamentally, it'll come down to that right to be left alone um, and the balance between the state you know, uh, in terms of surveillance, in terms of national security versus the individual right to be left alone. And I know I'm, you know, there's probably some extreme examples of that. Um, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, traditional surveillance practices and the, the idea of Big Brother surveilling communications, traffic and intelligence sharing and anti-terrorism uh, legislation that's been enacted across the world today. But, you know, those tentacles of, of, the, of the state do touch um, maybe inadvertently or surreptitiously, um, you know, communications traffic that really there's no interest in. And the concept of privacy uh, relates to whether the individual's um, rights have been have been um, interfered unnecessarily. And that's what it's all about from my perspective, is that it's about a balance, making sure that there is a balance between security and national security and the individual's rights. Um, for privacy, for data protection, and fundamentally, um, which the UN and European nations, including Ireland, have signed up to and recently attested to as well about the right to be left alone. Now, at the moment, talking about privacy, in the past year, there's a lot that's gone on in Facebook. Has that made privacy more or less dead? That's a very good question, actually, Ronan. Um, I, I don't think that um, privacy is necessarily dead. I think that it's maybe going through a rebirth or reawakening um, with, with, with various you know, uh, issues that have arisen in the, in the media over the last number of years with regards to multinationals. Um, there are maybe, uh, there is an awakening across the general public that actually these multinationals are using people's data in ways that weren't foreseen or that they weren't um, anticipating and that they weren't aware of. Um, and, you know, recent regulatory changes, I think, are driving that much more into the front line um, and front page media agenda as well. Um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Facebook, actually, because today, um, Tuesday, the uh, the head of, of Facebook uh, policy in, in Europe is being questioned by nine different um, parliaments, um, or representatives of nine different parliaments in the UK today on exactly that, you know, the proliferation of, of fake news, you know, using algorithms to um, to uh, select what articles and what information people see and what people consume and how they share information and how they use the, the information that people all too willingly share um, online um, for political and, and maybe other uh, purposes. So, you know, privacy isn't necessarily dead. I, I do think that uh, there has been a massive wake-up call, though, both within regulated entities, uh, historically, that have always been regulated in um, large multinational technology companies, but also within governments, within the small SMEs, uh, within the organisations that um, that I work with day in, day out, from those large-scale multinational organisations down to um, SMEs here in Ireland, um, that privacy is actually 
a fundamental element of their business now. They need to ensure that they're making people aware of what data they're collecting and why, what those purposes are, and making sure that where people have a choice, that they're made aware of that choice. And that choice really is about the fundamental right um, to, be, to, to, to your privacy and the right to be aware of what is going on um, with your data who it's been shared with, why it's been shared, um, and what you can do about it uh, if you don't like that. And I think Facebook uh, exemplifies sort of the the snowball effect of what happens when technology does develop and outpaces uh, regulatory uh, abilities, legislation, um, and uh, and governments, and their ability to maybe catch up or, or not with that rate of change of technology that we that we see all too quickly. And I mean... One of the things which I always point to is how quickly people share, um, or you know, on Instagram or Facebook or any of the other social media sites. You know, they're going on holidays and they check into an airport uh, online and they, they they take a photograph of you know the pint or the the glass of, of bubbly and say, you know, oh God, thank, thankfully we're going away on holidays now. And there's a photograph of the glass of bubbles on top of the boarding pass. How many people know how much information is actually contained within that barcode on your boarding pass? If, 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 you, if I was to say to you, Ronan, download a smartphone app that allows you to read a barcode, find a photograph anywhere on, on any of the social media sites or just uh, search online for one and scan it using the barcode app, you'd be amazed with just how much personal information is actually within that. So this, this sharing society which we've suddenly become uh, and, and maybe evolved into and, and sort of maybe fallen into, um, really uh, a sort of fed by all of the technology advancements means that up till now and maybe up until the last couple of years perhaps, privacy wasn't really at the forefront of our minds maybe as it should have been. Yeah, Earlier this year I was on a podcast talking about GDPR and I was asked uh, I was told basically what the fines are going to be like 20 million a year or fucking China, whatever is greater and I was asked who can afford that I said Facebook can because they've got the money well they could absolutely and I suppose the one thing to note about fines is that the fines are probably going to be used as a last resort the stick of last resort for the various regulators um, you know I think the various European regulators tend to take a more consultative and proactive approach to sort of to identifying issues um, and resolving them with, with organisations uh, including multinationals um, in the technology space but you're right you know 20 million euro is a significant amount of money um, and it's really, it represents a change from the preceding um, uh, environment and data protection regime whereby regulators, especially in Ireland, were, were specifically hamstrung with how they could penalise um, organisations for non-compliance. So the fines really grabbed an awful lot of the headlines pre-GDPR and, you know, we're sitting here on the 27th of November, uh, six months and a day after the GDPR came into force and really we haven't seen significant fines being levied yet. I know maybe one of the German regulators or one of the other European regulators fined a couple of hundred thousand uh, to a specific company for certain breaches of security and repeated instances. But above and beyond that, there hasn't been a significant, you know, eye-watering fine levied. The regulators, I suspect, are going to use some of the other tools they have available to them, including um, cease processing notices, which I suspect will likely be um, more debilitating for organisations than just a monetary fine. Um, I, I'm conscious that there are certain investigations ongoing right now across 
uh, the the European Union's uh, different regulators, including of Facebook, of Twitter, and of some of the other multinationals um, in the technology space. And I think uh, a lot of the industry, a lot of privacy professionals like myself, especially um, here in BSI with my colleagues, were very interested to see what happens there, you know, how quickly the regulators are uh, are transpired to, to, to use um, the, the powers that they do have and how significant some of those fines could be. Yeah. Now, going back to basically uh, data breaches, will we see more or less over the next few years? I think we will probably see a trend... Um, much like what we've seen in the last number of years in that there's an awful lot more breaches that are reported in the media um, because we obviously live in a much more technology-enabled world and technology drives usage of, of these services, uh, storage of data, processing of data and ever-increasing amounts of personal data. So I think, you know, the, the more use of technology and the more diverse um, uh, um, usage of different technologies that happens, I think the more breaches that are likely to occur. Um, I also think that uh, with, the, uh, with the GDPR coming into full force this year, organisations are still working through remediations and, and, and compliance programmes to, to, uh, to address compliance issues. One of those areas being you know, timely notification of, of identified breaches to the regulators and it seems that organisations are taking a bit more of a proactive approach in that sense. I know the Data Protection Commissioner has anecdotally said um, in, in the last number of weeks that they've, uh, they've seen an uptick um, in Ireland of notified data breaches, as have her colleagues across Europe as well. So I suspect that with, in, with increased regulation, with, uh, with more complex regulatory uh, requirements coming down the track with e-privacy on the horizon and other um, uh, you know, GDPR-esque laws taking shape in California, Singapore, Brazil, um, India, and perhaps maybe a federal privacy law coming into, um, coming into operation in, in, in the United States. I think that we will see um, uh, continuing breaches being reported uh, that affect us all in our daily lives, absolutely. Yeah, and also another thing that's going to impact is, is Brexit. How will that have, have an effect on GDPR? Brexit is a very, very complex thing, first and foremost. Um, it's difficult to say for sure what will happen outside of what the British government and the EU have already committed to. Um, and really, really simply, um, you know, we're dealing in with a number of clients, but uh, here not. Ireland and within the wider global practice of BSI of clients that are impacted by Brexit first and foremost and there's plenty of, of, um, of issues to, 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 to be considered within Brexit supply chain, cross-jurisdictional um, employment but data processing and personal data transfers um, into Europe and out of Europe or in Britain and out of Britain are definitely impacted um, I know there's an awful lot of, of um, of political posturing right now about Brexit, but with regards to data protection, it'll come down to probably two key areas. Um, if the British government and the EU agree a withdrawal treaty, uh, which is obviously um, going to be going through the UK Parliament in the next couple of weeks, um, that declares that after Britain formally leaves the EU and enters into that transition period, EU law, including the GDPR um, and other other um, other legislation, will still apply. So immediately, 
in a withdrawal situation that is formally agreed uh, and a transition period is agreed, there is no impact, there's no implication. Um, and it will give most organisations that are involved with and, and are concerned about data transfers into Britain or out of Britain the time to maybe put in place um, alternative mechanisms such as standard contractual clauses and um, that have been approved by the EU Commission for transferring data or binding corporate rules within their corporate entity. In the situation, on the flip side, if there is a, um, a no-deal Brexit, and um, the EU Commission is, uh, or rather the EU is holding pretty fast and saying that Britain will technically be a third country and would have to seek an adequacy decision um, to uh, continue to enjoy um, the uh, a situation that's aligned with how we see it today. And I think, unfortunately, that is possibly going to be a long way off in terms of achieving. Um, you know, historically, the EU Commission doesn't approve adequacy decisions very quickly, um, and it does represent a, a significant barrier for, for businesses to continue to secure data transfers into Britain or out of Britain. So I suppose what it comes down to, and what we're advising our clients here at BSI, is to ensure that you do have those mechanisms in place, standard contractual clauses, or perhaps maybe binding corporate rules, which again, unfortunately, take a little bit of time and, and need specific engagement um, and dialogue with the regulators. Um, so uh, my advice would be, you know, make sure you're looking at the, the potential implication of Brexit uh, for your personal data transfers now and, and look to address them um, in short to medium term um, in, in case there is, uh, unfortunately, a, a no-deal Brexit. Yeah, and I guess make sure if your data is stored in a data centre, Make sure it's not somewhere that in the UK where Brexit might cause problems. Well, that's exactly it. And the, you know, if you do have data stored in a data centre in the UK, you know, um, mechanisms such as standard contractual clauses between you as the controller and your uh, data centre provider as the processor, those will make sure that, th that those data transfers can continue to happen post Brexit, regardless of the outcome. And um, so that's why I would say, you know, make sure you know what data transfers you have to and from right now, um, and see whether you need to put in place um, any potential um, solution or mitigations uh, for such an event, such as those standard contractual clauses. And at the very least, you know, pick up the phone, uh, whether it's to somebody like myself and my colleague here in BSI, or to, indeed, the Data Protection Commission, who is uh, very forthright and, uh, and engaging um, uh, with, with uh, concerned individuals, uh, specifically on Brexit as well. Right. Now, the moment you, you mentioned previously about connected devices and wearables, with a Christmas current very soon, how can you make sure that I was looking at big sellers that they don't abuse our privacy. Absolutely. A really good question, Ronan. And I think, you know, Christmas is often um, a really good example of sort of, you know, buyer beware, caveat emptor situations. Um, uh, it's all about education. Fundamentally, it will all, all come down to the consumer arming themselves with knowledge. Um, I think the Irish um, population and, and the EU citizens in general, um, given 2018 is a year of GDPR, are a lot more aware of privacy, a lot more aware of their data protection rights, and, and are asking questions legitimately of companies that provide devices and wearables and all this new technology um, that, that you know tends to be under the Christmas tree come the 25th of December. Ultimately, 
I would encourage everybody, make sure you read the terms and conditions of any wearables or any new technology devices that you get. Understand the implications of what you're agreeing to in privacy policies. And unfortunately, you know, maybe up till now, privacy policies and terms and conditions are just things that you might click yes, accept, okay, and, and forget about. But materially, they could have a big impact on how the, the wearable, the device, the technology, the toy that you're giving to your children at Christmas actually have on data gathering, data storage, data retention. Maybe they're recording um, images or recording uh, audio conversations or videos. And, you know, if you're not informed, well, then, unfortunately, it's really going to be um, a risk that you've, you've not armed yourself with knowledge. So read the terms and conditions. Exercise consumer choice when opting into um, certain uh, um, consent uh, mechanisms that these technology devices come with, and don't be afraid not uh, to, don't be afraid to to opt out of things because privacy is all about choice and having a choice. And as a consumer, you do have a choice. And remember that you know if we think back to maybe the Facebook situation, you know, these technologies oftentimes, you know, appear to be free and appear to connect us and, and are fantastic for, for connecting and, and from a user experience perspective. But in that light, you know, unfortunately, sometimes and more often than not, the product isn't actually the device or the technology. The product is your data. So arming yourself with the knowledge to uh, be informed and make informed decisions about how your data can be used and how you use the device or the technology, um, I think, is, is really the key message this Christmas. Yeah, because I know, for example, that uh, people are buying like a, a Fitbit or maybe a smartphone. They're easily able to track your data and what you're using, what you're doing. So maybe if you can educate people, the do's and don'ts of owning a smart device. Well, the do's and don'ts are really, really simple. Know what the device is capable of doing and who it's going to send information to. Know what information it is going to collect um, and how long it's going to keep it for. Know that you have rights uh, to access that information and you can make a request of the technology providers and their third parties to give you that information if you want. Don't... Um, just arbitrarily um, sign up to uh, terms and conditions without really and materially understanding the impact that it could have on you, especially if you're giving this technology to uh, to your children and um, to individuals who are um, um, not maybe able to comprehend or understand the actual implication of their use and their continued use of such devices. So it's, it's really, really simple. You know, make sure that the technology is kept up to date from a, from a security perspective um, and make sure that you do read those terms and conditions because unfortunately when it comes down to it, it um, companies now that they're regulated and need to ensure, for instance, that they've got the legal basis to process people's data, um, organisations quite likely will rely on either an individual's consent or some other way to, uh, to make the processing legal under GDPR. Where it's consent, make sure that you understand the implications of gaining that consent and know that if you, if you want to withdraw that consent, you can do so at any particular time um, and you can get a copy of all the information that these organisations hold on you um, on request and free of charge um, under the GDPR. All right, that's great. Anything else you want to add to the podcast? Oh, perfect. That, that's it, anything else? Uh, no, absolutely. I, I really just think, um, you know, when it comes to privacy, um, you know, I, the organisations that we work with here in BSI today are, are a lot more um, and acutely aware of um, the, their privacy obligations. And from what I've seen, the general public is becoming a lot more aware, whether it's through breaches and through the, 
you know, continuing media coverage of breaches, of incidents, and, and of obviously the GDPR and fines that might happen uh, and investigations that are mobilised. So I, I really am encouraged by the fact that we have this this reawakening of privacy or rebirth of privacy awareness um, and look forward to, you know, the continued development of technology um, in, a, in a proactive, privacy-focused, privacy-centric manner that enables people to stay connected, to solve problems and to do what they've always done, which is, you know, build fantastic technology, build uh, successful businesses and um, do things um, with privacy now at the core. And I think that's only going to be a good thing. Right, thanks so much for that, Connor. Have a great, great uh, day, great Christmas as well, and a good New Year. We'll talk to you again real soon. Uh, absolutely, Ronan, and, and many happy returns to you. Thanks so much for your time. Right, thanks, take care. Thanks, Brian. Bye. Bye.